Welcome. You are now listening to Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. Bienvenidos a todos tuning into the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon, and I am happy you joined us today wherever and whenever you are listening to this. We have started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. It's the third episode of the podcast, and my conversation with Oscar Lopez Rivera continues. We talk more about the history of U.S.-Puerto Rico relations, his perspective on his activism, the significance of Paseo Boricua, and a message to young activists. Some call him a hero to Puerto Rico. Others say he's a violent radical, but... Let's continue struggling. Let's continue doing the best that we can do for this world. Be strong, be powerful, be powerful. Feel the power inside you. We can transcend anything. Oscar, can you repeat for our listeners the mission that informs your activism and how that connects to U.S.-Puerto Rico relations? Our, our mission has been for the last 50 years, mission of uh, decolonizing Puerto Rico, making Puerto Rico an independence of our nation with its own power, government, way of uh, developing an economic system, uh, making sure that the interests of the Puerto Rican people come first. Thus far, colonialism has taken that away from us. We do not govern ourselves. There is the Congress of the United States that has absolute power over Puerto Rico. The only thing that Puerto Ricans do is they work and, and the United States benefit from the work that we do. You mentioned colonialism of the United States and the current state of Puerto Rico. And it seems like when you look at the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States, especially, I think this really was hit home with Hurricane Maria that opened up a lot of people's eyes, that it almost feels like the United States looks at Puerto Rico as an afterthought. Historically, from the moment the United States government went into Puerto Rico, and let's be clear about this, the first thing that the United States presence in Puerto Rico, the first thing it did was to categorize us as a mongrel race and and incapable of self-government. Using using that line, the United States government did with Puerto Rico what no other country could have done if they had invaded and occupied Puerto Rico. It was very, very, very well orchestrated. It was well calculated. They knew exactly what Puerto Rico was doing. They knew exactly what Puerto Rico was producing. They knew the economy. They knew the, the governmental structure. And they knew who could serve their interests in Puerto Rico because there was a Puerto Rican elite that they had identified. And that Puerto Rican elite made it possible for the United States government to really colonize Puerto Rico and perpetuate colonialism. And to this day, we still have the United States government, but we also have a Puerto Rican elite 
always, always picked by the United States government to make sure that the interest, not of Puerto Rico, but the interest of the metropolis is the end product of the day. You mentioned the Puerto Rican elite. In your opinion, what do you think would be the main reasons that those individuals would say, you know what, yeah, I want to be a part of the United States. What, what do you think they saw the benefits of that relationship? These were people from the very beginning, people who are already have already seen the United States, and they knew that they could benefit themselves personally from the relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico. We we can take examples, and we can take family names. And one of the one of the best examples is Luis Munoz Rivera, who at one point in time he was supposed to be an autonomous, but then all of a sudden. He changes. And by the time the United States government imposed a U.S. citizenship that doesn't exist, he was always, always behind the scene defending the politics of the United States. So we go from 1898, from the moment of the invasion, to 1917, and Luis Munoz Rivera was very instrumental in creating that relation, that colonial relationship that benefited the United States. Then... If we can look at that from a generational point of view, his son becomes the first elected governor of Puerto Rico in 1948. He was probably the Puerto Rican who defended most the United States. And whatever Washington would tell him to do, he would do. He passed the... uh, what we call La Ley de la Mordaza, the gag law, that put a lot of Puerto Ricans in prison, that literally, literally put the independence movement in a very defensive position. And it was a carbon copy of the Smith Act. And the Smith Act, by 1957, the United States government had been forced to call it an unconstitutional law. And wow. then Puerto Rico in 1957, uh, Luis Munoz Marin did the same thing in Puerto Rico, but the damage had been done because from 1948 up to 1957, there were probably almost over a thousand Puerto Ricans who have been subjected to the, to the uh, gag law, to La Ley de la Mordaza. What we learned in history books is only told by the victors. And when I think about how, especially when we take, when we look at the current state of Puerto Rico, how not only our elected representatives on the island, but our elected representatives here in the United States, how they refer to the island. And even citizens of the United States, not even knowing that Puerto Ricans are citizens of the United States. If, if, we, if we look carefully from, from the moment that it tells Spain, we want Puerto Rico as war booty. And it, it, is, it is almost saying to, the United, to, to Spain, uh, we, we, we're going to be rewarded for the invasion and occupation of Puerto Rico. And we are going to do with Puerto Rico not what we promised to you, the government of Spain. We're going to do to Puerto Rico what we have on our own agenda. The minute that the United States government comes into Puerto Rico, the first thing that, that the government does is to say Puerto Ricans are not are not capable of self-government. The second thing that it does is to change the economic structure and say, well, we're going to devalue currency. Automatically, Puerto Ricans become poorer by 50% because the devaluation of the 
currency of Puerto Rico was devalued by 50%. And was the, what was the name of the currency in Puerto Rico? El peso. At the time? El, El peso, peso, yes. And from that moment on, you know, the, for example, Puerto Rico, the economy, and, and it's, it, this is crucial, Puerto Rico had a diversified economy in 1898, and it was selling to Europe. It was selling coffee, it was selling rum, it was selling different things to, to, to Europe, but it was also selling to the Caribbean, it was also selling to Central American countries. So by, by the United States forcing Puerto Rico to sell its coffee to the United States, automatically Puerto Ricans could not be benefited by by selling coffee to the United States. On the contrary, because the 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 price that they were paying for the coffee was not the same price that that Europe was paying for the Puerto Rican coffee. And and it was a way of also pushing pushing Puerto Ricans into a situation of not being able to be self sustainable, to to be self sufficient. Because in one year after the United States government there was a hurricane San Siriaco that hits Puerto Rico. And San Siriaco, we compare San Siriaco with uh, Maria because it's almost identical. The number of people who die, the number of, the number, the level of poverty that is generated with a hurricane San Siriaco. By, by, by the time it's within a year, the, not only it was the devaluation of the currency and and the change of the economy, but it was also being the, those who were investing in Puerto Rico, who started investing in Puerto Rico, getting things for nothing hardly and making that into a very profitable economy for themselves. Sugarcane became the main, main pro- product that was coming out of Puerto Rico and the sugarcane investors from, from the United States, those who control the not only the land already, but also the mechanisms to change, to transform sugarcane into sugar was, was, was in their hands. As a matter of fact, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico had trapiches. And the trapiche was just something. Yes, the trapiche is something that that you is used to squeeze the sugar. You put the sugar cane, oh, okay. and it it makes it into a liquid. All those trapiches that were in Puerto Rico were sold to Japan. It's yes. very fascinating how how this whole thing took place because yeah. you took something that was there and replace it with something that was not there. And mm-hmm. that's you know, the refineries. Correct me if I'm wrong, Oscar, on this, but Puerto Rico cannot import anything, correct? Like everything correct. has to get sent to the United States first, then sent to Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. which is why we end up paying like a crazy amount of money for a gallon of milk. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, something something that, that is really real good too, you know, just to, to remind the, the audience, is that a shirt could be made in Puerto Rico, but it cannot be sold. It could not be sold in Puerto Rico. The, there were the shirts would you know the 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 textiles that were made in Puerto Rico. They would be brought to the states and then uh, returned to Puerto Rico. So so it, it is a fascinating way of how the metropolis could exercise uh, exercise absolute control over Puerto Rico. The, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's not a single structure that the United States created in Puerto Rico. And to this day, any structure that is still uh, created is for the benefit of Puerto Rico. It has never, there's not a single structure that we can say this was created to the benefit of Puerto Rico. We can take the, the thing of the bicameral uh, representation, political representation. It's, it's two cameras in the United States. 
they put two cameras in Puerto Rico. Neither one would represent the interests of Puerto Rico. We can we can see the citizenship that was imposed on Puerto Rico. It is it was never a U.S. citizenship. Only only on 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 paper it sounded like like it was. But the the only the main reason the main reason the United States government in 1917 passed the Jones Act was to get Puerto Ricans to provide military service. So we right. we became we became the the Khan uh, Fadr, mm-hmm. okay, and 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 we became the the ones who, if we refuse, we would end up in prison. So mm. the, the, the right, yeah, because uh, we're, we're talking years of the draft, right? Yes, you, yes, yeah, they started. They have started yeah. the draft, and mm-hmm. then the the other thing is that they used the um, the uh, Jones Act to impose on us. The whole thing of not using any ship except the ones from the United States. So whatever, whatever. Let's say that we will get something in in uh, Costa Rica. That item could not go directly to Puerto Rico. It would go first to Florida and then from Florida to Puerto Rico. Oh. So ex- you know, when we look at the expense and how literally we were being exploited by by all the structures that the United States government was creating, we can see how bad, how terrible of a situation we are in and why the level of poverty in Puerto Rico increased so much between 1898 and and, and 1920. By by 1920, our level of poverty was so intense, so great, that even even Americans spoke against against the treatment of Puerto Rico. I wanted to just talk about your relationship with the Puerto Rican community here in Chicago. When you were first released and came here, I remember you coming to Paseo Boricua, you addressed the crowd. And a couple things that you said that really stood out to me were, let's struggle for the best of, of this world and let's build communities like this one. What would you say to Puerto Ricans now? What, what advice would you give them in their current struggle? And what is it about building a community like this one in Paseo Boricua that can serve as a model for other Puerto Rican communities, not only on La Isla, but in the diaspora? I, I, I think that what, what was built here, we started with a very marginalized, uh, invisible, voiceless community, and little by little by organizing in that community, it became more... Uh, it became more radical. It became more that sense of empowerment, and also you know, the sense of you know we can do things, we can accomplish things, and that 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 mentality is very crucial in this world. If we see that that we do something, that we can accomplish it, that we can win, that we can be victorious, that impossible. Is that that doesn't get done? Uh, I, I think that we move in the right direction. I think that uh, Paseo Boricua has been able to accomplish something that is accomplishable because it's, it's, it's already here. A model, yes, uh, and, and we need those models. We need uh, other communities to emulate the examples that at least we know that if we struggle, if we wage the right struggle, if we do the right things, that we can definitely, definitely, definitely accomplish our goals. And it could be a small goal, like, for example, starting uh, an alternative school. It could be a small goal of stopping discrimination or racism. Uh, It could be a small goal of getting students into the universities. But those things will definitely turn out to be positive 
things and wherever we can do anything positive, we're not only contributing to our to the Puerto Rican uh, reality. Uh, in in our way, it was the Latino uh, reality that we're facing, helping to to work with. But also, we can we can uh, uh, reach out and say we are making a contribution to the creation of a better and more just world. Because if we do anything good anywhere in this world, and including uh, the Puerto Rican community in Chicago, if we do something positive, if we do something that is a contribution to humanity, then we will contribute to making something better and leading that it can lead to a better and more just world. Well, Oscar, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you are a busy guy. Um, I know you have a lot going on today. Next time you're in town, if we could reconnect, I would love it if you could come on. Um, would you be up for that? Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, I'll be, back, I'll though. be back. I'll be back. I'll be back in Chicago. And um, yeah, you know, if I come back, you know, we'll talk. Definitely. All right. I'd love that. Okay, Señor, gracias. Thank you. Thank you. That sound of the coqui means it's time for us to wrap up. Thanks again to Oscar Lopez for coming on the Paseo podcast. Next week, I'll sit down with a representative from the Puerto Rican agenda. Among other things, we're going to discuss the upcoming visit to Washington, D.C. by a delegation of Puerto Ricans from here in Chicago to discuss the financial future of Puerto Rico. We love hearing from you, our listeners, so keep those good vibes coming. Connect with us by visiting our website, paseomedia.org, emailing us at paseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at Paseo Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, send us a compliment, or even share a recipe for the perfect hibarito, and I am still waiting for that, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. 